Hello, and welcome to The P-Value, a podcast about science, philosophy, and everything in between. The P-Value is an initiative of the Centre for Philosophy of the Sciences at the Australian National University. Imagine you have a recessively inherited genetic disorder, such as cystic fibrosis or sickle cell anemia. You strongly desire to have your own biological children, but you don't want to risk them inheriting the disorder from you. Your partner has testing to see if they're also a carrier for the disease, but unfortunately the test comes back positive. There's a one in four chance of your baby inheriting your genetic disorder, if you conceive conventionally. You're left with a dilemma. You could A. Take your chances, conceive conventionally, and hope that your child doesn't inherit the disease. B. Conceive conventionally, but have antenatal genetic testing. Tests such as amniocentesis or cryonic villus sampling involve taking a sample of the cells from the placenta or amniotic fluid and then carrying out genetic testing for abnormalities. Both of these carry a risk of miscarriage, which is, whilst less than 1%, still present. If your pregnancy turned out to have abnormalities, then you would have the decision of whether to terminate the pregnancy or not. C. You could use screened donor sperm, or eggs, to conceive via IVF. But if you do this, your child won't be 100% biologically related to you and your partner. If you were in this situation, which option would you pick? Fortunately for you, there is another option. Pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, also known as PGD, and embryo selection. PGD involves producing embryos via IVF using your own eggs and sperm and then testing them for genetic disorders. It will allow you to screen your embryos for the genetic disorder before they're implanted and thus avoid being pregnant with an embryo that has the genetic disorder altogether. Does having the option of PGD change your decision? Would you choose PGD? What are the ethical issues surrounding this sort of technology? Welcome to The P-Value. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Brown, and this week we're continuing our dive into bioethics and discussing the ethics of a potent contemporary reproductive technology, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis for embryo selection. Ethically, the key challenges surrounding PGD relate to who should have access to it and for what purpose. It's a great example of how moving technology from the lab to social contexts can present significant ethical and public policy dilemmas. For many of those with severe genetic disorders within their families, the potential to stop the disease being passed on to future generations of family members is an unquestionable good. For later-onset degenerative diseases such as Huntington's and spinal muscular atrophy, family members have watched loved ones suffer and eventually pass away and justifiably want to end that grief and pain within their families. With PGD, we have the potential to make a huge difference to the numbers of people born each year which have the genes for developing all sorts of terrible diseases. Unsurprisingly, The communities of families with such diseases in their bloodline have invested a great deal of time and effort lobbying the government to subsidise access to PGD, 
and indeed, late last year such coverage was provided by the Australian government to a small subset of diseases. In these cases, almost all agree that PGD is a good thing. But there are lots of cases where the ethics surrounding the application of PGD is far less clear. One key challenge for PGD is that there is a great potential for it to be misused to select traits merely for aesthetic or cultural preferences. The dark shadow of eugenics over 20th century history makes us unsurprisingly wary about anything in this area. There are, however, many pushing for the use of PGD outside of strictly medical context regardless. PGD for sex selection is one such case. How often do you hear people talking about trying for a further baby to conceive a child of a particular sex? Wouldn't PGD avoid the heartache often associated with this? Currently, Australian regulations allow the selection of embryos via PGD only for medical reasons. For example, in cases where there is a high likelihood of genetic disease being passed down through a particular sex. But sex selection for family balancing, the selection of one sex over the other for non-medical reasons, is not allowed. This sort of selection of one sex over the other for non-medical reasons is, however, allowed in other countries, such as the USA. And indeed, couples do travel overseas to access the technology. If you do a cursory Google search on family balancing in Australia, you'll find several operators offering to organise overseas travel for PGD for family balancing purposes. What do you think? Should we allow such testing? Advocates of such testing being allowed in Australia for family balancing make the following comparison of options. Families, they say, have the choice to A. Take their chances, conceive conventionally and hope that their child is the gender they desire, roughly a 50-50 chance, and risk what is described as gender disappointment if they're not. B. Conceive conventionally but have antenatal genetic testing, noting that in the case of sex there are newer forms of testing that are non-invasive and can detect sex with a high degree of accuracy from as early as 10 weeks of gestation. Having had this kind of antenatal testing, then couples can terminate a pregnancy if they think it's the wrong sex. A third option, C, is to use reproductive technology overseas, which allows you to screen your embryos for sex before they're implanted and thus avoid being pregnant with an embryo that is the wrong sex altogether. Most, so advocates say, can't afford option C and thus take option B, undergoing early antenatal genetic testing and then aborting fetuses of the wrong sex. Skewed gender ratios in several countries, including China and India, suggest this practice is common. A 2018 analysis of data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics by researchers at La Trobe University showed that in at least some cultural communities in Australia, gender ratios are also skewed, implying that sex selection is occurring here too, even in the absence of PGD. Given that it seems like people are effectively undertaking sex selection already, should we then just allow PGD for sex in Australia? Why not then provide it for PGD in Australia? 
aside from the many reasons we might have against sex selection specifically, one reason to reject PGD for these purposes is simply that it opens up the floodgates for selection on all sorts of other cultural and aesthetic traits. If selection for sex is okay, what about eye colour? Or height? Or intellectual capacity? Where would we draw the line? Legislation worldwide regarding the use of PGD typically restricts its acceptability and legality to cases of serious genetic abnormality. In Australia, for example, the NH&MRC guidelines state that PGD may only be used to select against genetic conditions, diseases or abnormalities that would severely limit the quality of life of the person who would be born. To select an embryo with a compatible tissue for a subsequent stem cell therapy intended for a parent, sibling or relative, and to increase the likelihood of a live birth. Even if we accept these restrictions, we cannot avoid several ethical challenges. What, for example, counts as a genetic condition, disease or abnormality which would severely limit the quality of life of the person who would be born? What are the implications, ethical, social and otherwise, of allowing PGD for any particular disorder. Looking down the list of diseases that have been taken to pass the NH and MRC requirements, the challenge of drawing the line becomes even more stark. While some of the disorders that PGD can legally be used for are early childhood diseases like Goucher disease type 2, which typically results in severe brain damage and death in early infancy, Not all diseases are like this. There are many diseases on the list that still allow people to have what most would describe as a full and relatively long life, such as early-onset Alzheimer's, Marfan syndrome and achondroplasia or dwarfism. Many ask whether we should be selecting against these diseases in the first place. Isn't it discrimination? Doesn't selecting against these diseases devalue those living with them? One might worry, like bioethicist Julian Suvalescu from Oxford, that this sort of argument makes an unwarranted assumption, that selection against implanting embryos carrying genes for a disease implies a lack of value for people with the disease. To quote Suvalescu in a 2001 article, it is important to distinguish between disability and persons with disability. Selection reduces the former but is silent on the value of the latter. Do you agree? Does PGD imply a lack of value for people with disease or disability? Another concern of disability advocates relates to the sorts of judgments being made about whether something is or is not a severe enough disease to warrant PGD. Specifically, They point out that because, at least in part, what counts as a disease or disability is a matter of the society in which a person is found, these judgments can be arbitrary. Arguably, the assessment of achondroplasia or dwarfism as severely limiting of life is heavily context-dependent. Many of the challenges faced by people with this genetic disorder are due to a lack of accommodations rather than the disorder itself. How do we decide if disorders are sufficiently bad to warrant PGD? How much should we ignore context? Furthermore, one might reasonably worry that the focus on PGD only serves to draw away valuable resources and attention from making society more equitable. Most people would agree that there are clear cases where PGD is warranted. 
for example, in some of the really nasty, fatal early childhood disorders. But where we want to draw the line as a society on this technology isn't clear. Pushing back against concerns about PGD, we have the question of individual reproductive autonomy. Despite recent developments in the US, there's a general agreement amongst those in liberal democracies that we shouldn't force people to have children they don't wish to have. It seems reasonable then to assume that most would agree that forcing parents to have children with particular disorders is cruel and violates their reproductive autonomy. If anything, so this line goes, PGD increases parental reproductive autonomy, which is a good thing. Whilst this is quite persuasive, the line of reasoning does beg the question, where do we stop? Is it then violating reproductive autonomy to not have PGD as an option for family balancing? Julian Suvalescu offers a different argument for PGD in the form of a principle he calls procreative beneficence, according to which couples should select the child of the possible children they could have who is expected to have the best life or at least as good a life as others based on the relevant available information. And Suvalescu offers a simple example to motivate this principle. He says, A couple is having IVF in an attempt to have a child. It produces two embryos. A battery of tests for common diseases is performed. Embryo A has no abnormalities on the test performed, whilst embryo B has no abnormalities on the test performed except that its genetic profile reveals it has a predisposition to developing asthma. Which embryo should be implanted? Now, Suvalescu says that since embryo B has nothing to be said for it over A and something to be said against it, that it's only rational to implant A. Put simply, he says, although asthma is typically mild, it remains a state which reduces the well-being of people, and thus it is a morally relevant property on which we should base our decision. Returning to PGD, the principle of procreative beneficence suggests not only should PGD be available for improving the well-being of those embryos that are implanted, but that parents should employ it. Suvalescu goes so far as to say that in the future, if technology is more widely available and efficient, then it may be that all parents actually should do PGD for traits that aren't even diseases, such as intelligence. Indeed, it's for this exact reason that Suvalescu's principle doesn't avoid the challenge of family balancing. Arguably, if parents are in a patriarchal society in which there's a strong preference for males over females, then they're selecting the child who's expected to have the best life of their possible children by selecting a male embryo. Suvalescu's argument is seen by many to go too far. What do you think? Where should we draw the line on PGD? What about the moral responsibility of parents? Should they have PGD and embryo selection if they can? What about those who know that there's disease in their family but choose not to? Are they doing something morally troubling too? You've been listening to the P-Value Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Brown. Thank you for listening. The P-Value is an initiative of the Centre for Fossey of the Sciences at the Australian National University.